Good morning. It is my delight to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Leanne Ketchum. Leanne is my niece. She's married to my, my nephew, Andrew, and my daughters grew up with her, or with him, rather. And Andrew's here this morning along with their five-month-old baby girl, Chloe. And Leanne is ordained with the Wesleyan Church. Uh, she has served as the associate pastor at, uh, at a Wesleyan Church plant in Colorado, as well as the Minister of Communication and Development uh, at Kingston United Methodist Church in Princeton, New Jersey, and most recently she served as a minister for children, youth, and families, and then the minister of the contemporary service at, King, at Kingsway Lambton United Church in Toronto. Leanne has an undergraduate degree from Indiana Wesleyan, a, a master's in divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary, and she's currently a PhD candidate in, at Emmanuel College in, in the University of Toronto studying homiletics, which is a fancy word for preaching. Leanne Andrew and Chloe have, have moved back to Indiana, which my family's excited about. She's finishing her dissertation for her PhD and exploring her next call. We're blessed that the timing has worked out for her to be with us this morning during Pastor Stacy's sabbatical, so would you welcome her this morning? Thank you. Well, good morning, ECC. It is so good to be with you. I thank you for your warm hospitality and welcoming me here. And as Kurt said, I have family who has been worshiping here for many years. And so you feel uh, not quite like strangers, but just new friends. So I thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you this morning. And as we gather for worship today, the theme, as you probably have sussed out by now, uh, is on the worshiping community. Talk about a complicated theme for the past year. This is actually the first time that I have been physically in church for worship since March 2020. Uh, the churches in, in uh, Toronto, Ontario were asked to worship online. Uh, and aside from, I think, a few weeks last fall when we had some small outdoor gatherings, uh, our church was only online. And so uh, we worshipped on Zoom. Uh, I led a worship service that way, Zoom style, which is not quite as fun as being all together. You can swipe through and see the congregation, uh, but not everyone's video is on. Some people are only a name, and it can be hard to feel connected just on the screen. For others of us, and even today here with ECC, you are worshiping with us online through the live stream. Prior to uh, 2020, you may not have done that before. And so you may have had to wonder about, how do I worship online, at home? Do I sing out loud? Do I sing in my heart? Do I just have it on screen while I make coffee and breakfast? Or do I sit down? I don't really know. <laughs> and so uh, there may be uh, some new things that we have learned about worship in the past year. I know when I was preaching online for our Zoom worship service, I had the uh, great joy of having my technology go out in the middle of my sermon, which I'm relieved won't happen this morning, although you may be less relieved that there is no mute button for me either. Hard to say. But it's been a long year, hasn't it? So worship has gotten complicated but not only has worship gotten complicated, but community has gotten complicated. Can we be together or not? 
Will these human interactions risk uh, my health or the health of those around me? What does community look like after a year of social distance? And I say all of that not because I'm going to answer all of those questions, but to just name the complex context that we come into talking about worshiping together this morning. But before we get too far and jump into scripture, let's turn to God in prayer together. Gracious God, when we came here today, we came bearing the imprint of the last year upon us. We come with the weight of our own worries and wonders on our mind. And in these moments together, we ask that you, your spirit, would speak to us, disorient us so that you might reorient us again to what it means to be your worshiping community. In Jesus' name, amen. So come, says the psalmist to the people in Israel, and come, says the psalm to us today. Come as a sort of invitation, a beckoning, a request to have the pleasure of your company. Invitations are wonderful things. Although we probably have all had the experience of not getting an invitation, uh, childhood birthday parties might come flooding back to you right now where others were invited and you were not. And certainly the absence of an invitation is painful. But the presence of an invitation nearly always brings delight. A number of years ago, there was a story about a man named Joey DiGiulio who received an invitation to a bachelor party. On February 11th, he opened his email and received an invitation to celebrate Jeff's upcoming nuptials with a bachelor party in Philadelphia. He looked at who was all on the email thread, and there was at least a few dozen people uh, on the list. The only trouble was, Joey had never met Jeff and did not know a single name on the invitation list. Not only that, but he lived in Seattle, Washington, which is a far cry of thousands of miles from Philadelphia. After realizing that this was clearly a typo in the emails and that he had been mistakenly invited to this party for a man he had never met, Joey's confusion started to turn towards curiosity. Emails rolled in thanks to that delightful reply all button, and Joey was entertained. The guys on this list reminded him of his friends, and he enjoyed their humor as they joked around and their camaraderie. But finally, the jig was up when Jeff's brother sent another email requesting for a headcount for the bachelor party. So all those who had not yet responded needed to do so. So Joey tapped out a response saying, Hi all, I have no idea who any of you guys are, but I've been enjoying being a fly on the wall, hearing about the plans for Jeff's bachelor party the last few months. There must have been a typo in the emails, and although the thought crossed my mind to crash the party, I live in Seattle and it's just a bit too far. But I hope you have a great time, and I wish best of luck to the groom. Well, very quickly, emails start coming back with the guys pitching in $20 each to fly Joey DiGiulio from Seattle to Philadelphia for the bachelor party and the wedding. Surprise invitations can lead to some of life's best adventures. 
And that is what a call to worship is. It is an invitation to an adventure, and it's an invitation from God. Unlike Joey DiGiulio's invitation, it's intended for you all, for the people of God. There's no typo on the email chain. It came for you. And it matters that we start here because this is the heart of what worship is about. It is an invitation from God. Oftentimes, if we were to talk about worship and try to define it, uh, what makes it authentic, we might hear different things like, well, if my heart is in the right place and my focus is on God, and if I give myself over with abandon to worship, then it's authentic worship. But all of this centers us. And worship begins not with us, but with God who invites us. And it's not about us getting something right in worship so that God will show up and God will be present, but it's about responding to the invitation that God has given to us. It's more like God is the one who's throwing the party and inviting us to join in the celebration. So we don't have to sing loud enough or pray in a particular way or even stand or be physically uh, present in the service in a particular way. God invites us first, and that is what makes worship worship. Because God has invited us, and God has prepared the worship in advance for us. God, the host, has planned it out and put things together, and God is throwing the celebration And we respond in worship. Because this is part of who God is. God is a self-revealing God. God walked in the Garden of Eden, encountered Abraham to form the covenant. He was revealed to Moses in a burning bush, spoke to the prophets so that they might speak to Israel. But most of all, God revealed God's self to us in Jesus Christ who entered humanity, took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood, as the message paraphrase says. And the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, God reveals God's self to us again and again and again, constantly issuing the invitation, come to the party. So this invitation to worship is an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to encounter our God who loves this good creation and wants to be in relationship with us. So come, the psalm says, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God with thanksgiving and extol God with music and song. Why? The psalm says, because this God has revealed himself to us. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the mountain peaks, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So again, the psalmist says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Why? For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God invites us 
to worship. God plans and throws the celebration, and in worship we respond to a good God who is already present, who is already creating, guiding, leading, and caring for his people. In his book, The Good and Beautiful Community, James Bryan Stevenson recounts this experience that he had as a young pastor. Now, as a young pastor, you can, you know, sometimes get the, uh, the tasks that no one else wants. <laughs> and he was given the task of reaching out to those on the membership roles who had not worshipped with their church for at least three years. The intention was to reconnect, to uh, try to update their records, and so, of course, some had moved away or had passed away. But for those who were still local, uh, he reached out and asked if he could visit. And of the hundred phone calls that he made, four showed some interest in returning to the church. Two ended up returning, one joined another church, and then it was the fourth call that really challenged him. A call where he was invited to tea with a divorced mom of grown kids. It became clear during their conversation that faith was really important to her. She peppered James with questions about his spiritual journey, and so he got to ask them to her in return. She said, my relationship with God is everything to me. I spend an hour each morning in meditation and prayer, And an hour before bed, doing the same. Would you like to see where I pray? And she led him over to a room in her house that was filled with religious artwork and had a kneeling bench where she would kneel to pray. And she said, this is where I connect with God. So after resuming their conversation with a second cup of tea, uh, James finally asked her, will we be seeing you at worship one of these Sundays soon? And she responded, oh no, (laughs) no, church is not for me. I have all I need here in my prayer room. I get too discouraged by corporate worship. I am fine, but thank you for inviting me. A bit taken aback, James sort of stammers out a response and asks if she's sure. Are you sure you wouldn't come back to worship sometime? And she said, oh no, no thank you, reverend. As I said, I have all I need right here. This is one of the false narratives around worship. It's that worship is just a personal matter meant for my own personal inspiration. Worship is meant to create this particular emotional environment while I do this private activity. And after the past year of worshiping at home or at a distance, I wonder if we share this false narrative anymore, or if the, what we have known in the spiritual distance challenges this particular narrative around worship. Did you notice the pronouns in the psalm? Us. Us, us, us. Even the last phrase, verse 7, in the Hebrew, you is really y'all. This call to worship is, as my southern Hebrew professor would say, for all y'all. It is for all of us. This call to worship is to us, not me and not you, but all y'all. God calls us in worship to encounter God who reveals himself to us, and God calls us to worship 
to be with one another. Now allow me a moment to be real with you. In 2020, I spent the latter three quarters being pregnant. And may I say, I was even grateful at times for the social distance. I didn't have any of the uh, awkward encounters where people would come up and just touch my belly, uh, nor did I have to figure out how to respond when people asked if they could just touch my belly. On behalf of pregnant ladies everywhere, I would just like to say that if you are not invited to touch the belly, do not. <laughs> and not only did I, have, did I not have people trying to touch me without my permission, interaction was so predominantly online that I also got to sidestep the, wow, you got big, and are you sure you're not having twins? Those comments also should not hit the air. So I confess to you, there were times when I was grateful for the social distance, but not entirely. Because this past year also reminded me of how very, very deeply I depend on and need others. Andrew and I had to quarantine a few times after travel or after potential exposure. And we needed friends to bring us groceries. Heck, we needed people at the grocery store to stock the groceries so that our friends could bring them to us. We needed people to call us and video chat with to bring a small bit of levity in a really hard year. I needed people to celebrate our baby with us. And we were smothered with generous love from our church, family, and friends in the form of online baby showers. And through this time, too, I was trying to work and finish my degree. And Lord knows, I needed people to encourage me to keep going. So I'm not sure if 2020 led you to a similar place as it did for me. But the whole myth of being this self-sufficient individual just sort of crumbled in my world. And I think that that realization, that acknowledgement that we are relational beings fundamentally designed for connection and belonging is a gift for our understanding of worship. It is a gift to know our fragility. That's what we name in the, in the prayer of confession that we are human and we make mistakes and we have messed up and we need forgiveness. And it is a gift to know that. And it is a gift to know that our lives are intertwined and bound up with one another. And God knows this. It is not good for man to be alone. Remember? So when God calls us to come to worship, God is calling us to come and be with one another to pray, to read and interpret scripture together, to tell the story of what God has done, is doing, and will yet do, to believe and to lend our faith to one another when we experience seasons of doubt. Throughout the Bible, God has always been fashioning a people, not individuals. God covenanted with a nation, not just Abraham. And the bride of Christ is the church, not just me or you. And God's call to us to love others, our neighbors, and our enemies is meant to be practiced right here in worship. 
in this church family how hard it is to hate one another and hate each other's differences when we are being transformed together by the Spirit of God. Because when God calls us to worship, God is calling us to be with one another in community. Because we need one another to remember who we are, to remember whose we are, that our God is the rock of our salvation, that we are held in the hands of the one who formed the land and the seas, carved the depths of the earth, and formed the peaks of the mountains. We need to look at one another and say, yes and amen, this is our God, and we, you and me, though we look different and see the world differently, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. The last verse of the psalm that we read ends with this phrase. Today, if only, you would hear his voice. This is the aim of worship, that we would hear God's voice. And we never do this alone, because hello, how many of us have ever been wrong before? Yes. And how many of us have ever been taught something by someone else before? Yes. That is why we do this together, because we need one another to know God and to remember who we are as God's people. This is why we have things like Kingdom Conversations, which we hope you'll join us for today at noon. The link is online. Because when we are growing in our faith together, we must include each other's perspectives. You have learned something about God that I have not yet learned and I need you. We hear God's voice together as we sing, read scripture, interpret, pray, and then together, when we have heard God's voice, we move. When we hear God's voice, we are transformed, changed, and moved to go out into the world looking and living like God's people. And we aren't always moved in the ways that we expect when we hear God's voice. Bethel Church in the Netherlands experienced this firsthand a couple of years ago. Now, pastors in the Netherlands would readily admit that God has seemed quite irrelevant to many people in their communities, perhaps a bit far removed from their daily life. And yet, that started to change in October of 2019 with their worship. A family of five fled Armenia into the Netherlands in 2010 for political reasons. And in a six-year legal process, Dutch officials tried twice to deny the family asylum, and they were twice defeated in court. But on the third time, the government finally got their way, and the family turned to the church for sanctuary while they could pursue a further legal action. And under a little-known law, it is illegal for police to enter a worship a service while it is going on. So 550 pastors and congregants from 20 de different denominations, plus the hundreds who participated, held an ongoing worship service for 96 days. Around the clock to protect this family until a compromise was agreed upon with the government 
for 700 families that had previously been listed for deportation to have their files reassessed. The oldest of the children of this family is 21 and said this, I often think that the only place I feel safe is at church. It really does feel like a refuge. The church provided shelter, psychological support for the family, education for the children who couldn't go to school anymore, and round-the-clock prayers. This never-ending worship service, they read scripture, they preached, they prayed, they sung, and as they did these acts of worship, God was forming them as a worshiping community, such that when they left this place, the world would know them in their work of worship. After this 96 days, the worship service ended, and one person remarked, the reason why we did this was really quite sad, but it was also such a gift to this parish and to the church. I still get messages from other people who participated, and they say, finally, I know why there is a church. Oh, that today, in our worship, we would hear God's voice, and then together we would move. Let us pray together. God, at your initiative and desire, you call us to worship. And you call us to be together. As your people, the flock under your care, we pray that we would hear your voice together as a community. And so that through worshiping you, your work in us, we would live and serve in the world as who you have designed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.